Hi, I'm Rahil Philippos and you're listening to 3 Things the Indian Express news show. In this episode we talk about the recently concluded G20 summit in Bali. We also talk about Amazon's plans to cut about 10,000 jobs. But first, we meet 12-year-old Karina Kaur and 13-year-old Kirna Rani from Kolwara, a small village in Punjab. At first glance, the two girls appear to be like most kids their age. But their story is nothing short of extraordinary. Every morning, Karina and Kirna wake up to go to school like most kids their age. But unlike these kids, they walk to the bank of the Satluj, row a boat to the other side, and cross two villages by foot to reach their school. Now we have seen memes and jokes online, or joked about how our previous generations would always exaggerate about their struggles to reach school. They would cycle tens of kilometers or wade through animal-infested rivers just to study. But it's 2022, and for Kirna and Karina, it's not an exaggeration, but a reality. Divya Goyal, who covers Punjab for the Indian Express, met these girls as they made their way to school one morning. And in this segment, we speak to Divya about Kirna and Karina's struggles and their desire for education. So, Divya, could you begin by introducing us to Karina and Kirna and their life in Kaluvara? So. we are talking about two girls karina and kirna they are from village kaluwada which is in district ferozpur near india pakistan border on the zero line they are not at all from well off families their fathers they just own less than 2 acres of land they are in the category of small farmers and uh, even their crop once a year is destroyed by satluj water which enters the fields when it rains very heavily so almost every year they face floods and they spend nights sitting on the rooftops of their houses when water enters their house also so every day these girls they have to take a boat and then walk for at least 4 kilometers to reach the government senior secondary school in nearby village gatto rajoke so the problem is that Kaluwada is surrounded by satluj water from three sides and border fence on the fourth side so there is no road through which they can reach gatto rajoke which has a senior secondary school kaluwada just has a primary school and uh, most of the girls from this village they drop out after completing class 5th however these two girls kirna and karina they chose to continue their studies and now uh, one of them is in 6th and the other is in 8th class and every day they reach the school via boat well that seems like a long journey to reach school and to make this journey they must have to get up really early and come back home really late so could you tell us about their daily journey and their daily routine so the school starts at 9 am but these girls they have to leave their home by 7 am and sometimes even by 6 or 6:30 so that uh, they reach in time this boat in the local language it is called bedi it is not a usual boat that you have to pull with the oars it is a boat which moves with the flow and there is a rope which is tied on both the shores 
so once the boat is on your side you have to make it stable by pulling the rope then get on to the boat and then it flows so it takes a lot of force to pull that rope and uh, get on to it and reach the other side but these girls according to their principle they have not missed even a single day at school despite all these difficulties and even when they return home the school ends at 3:20 and they reach to their village at around 4:30 or 5 depending on the availability of the boat the problem is that even the boat is not available all the time sometimes it is on the other shore so till some other person from the other side doesn't ride back they have to wait on the other side so it's quite a difficult journey to their school which they take daily wow so all of that sounds really dangerous divya what happens if there's a storm or during the monsoon when water levels start to rise are there any safety measures in place no there is no safety in place because this is not any official or authorized boat it is just a temporary arrangement that villagers have made to travel from kalluwada to other villages and uh, whenever there is a storm or there are floods during heavy monsoons the water overflows in satluj and whenever there is a lot of wind then it becomes very dangerous and according to the villagers there have been past incidents when uh, the boat also overturned two three times whenever it got overloaded but they still take the journey because there's no senior secondary school in their village right so when you spoke to them did they tell you how they feel about their daily journey so kirna and karina took admission in the school from this session only this is the first time that uh, two girls from kalluwada they have mustered the courage to take this journey via boat and taken admission in senior secondary school so they said that uh, initially it was very difficult to pull the rope and uh, make the boat stable on their own because early morning there is nobody else at the river bank to help them they go around 7 am so sometimes there are villagers who help them but when there is nobody they do it on their own and whenever they see any animal in the water they just uh, muster the courage and uh, run away they have to because there is no other option and they also said that since they have to do something in life achieve something and make their parents proud they have opted to take this journey every day and what do they want to achieve in life divya so kirna wants to join the army because their village is right next to the border fence and they see bsf and other army men roaming and protecting their village 24/7 right from the childhood they have grown up seeing army protecting their village right next to pakistan so that's why they admire army and she says that she wants to be an army and whereas the younger one karina she says that she wants to be a school teacher well let's hope all their dreams come true so you also spoke to kirna's mother has she raised any concerns about the journey that these girls make every day Yeah her mother Shindar Kaur she said that uh, this is the only option they have to make their daughter study otherwise if she will drop out like other girls after class 5 then uh, they won't be able to come out of the circle of poverty at least if she completes class 12 then she can pursue graduation by distance learning or something 
and they said that uh, they are get very worried sometimes when they see big animals while rowing the boat or uh, when they get late while coming back sometimes they don't come back till 5 pm so that makes them very worrisome but then kaluwada has no other option because there is no other school in the village okay so we know about karina and kirna but i'm sure the village also has other young girls around their age are they not being educated so most of the girls from kaluwada they drop out after class 5 in their own village they only have a primary school and even that primary school it came up only last year and earlier than that even the primary children they were traveling to other villages through boat to access primary education but now they have a primary school and they study till class 5 there but after that uh, they have two options one is to join the senior secondary school in gatti rajoke and the other is to uh, there is a middle school at a, another village nearby there also you go via boat only so some girls are going to that middle school which is 6 to 8 and the senior secondary school which is 6 to 12 so these two girls they are uh, coming to this uh, senior secondary school all right and divya what about the boys in the village do they also study at the school yeah so according to the principal of uh, gatti rajoke school around 12 13 boys from kaluwada uh, they are admitted in their senior secondary school but most of them are very irregular because they also help their families in earning livelihoods they work also so many of the days they are absent so some of them around 13 14 they are admitted in senior secondary school and uh, others they just drop out and uh, they also don't access education after class 5 right So Karina and Kirna are the ones who are trying their best to continue their education and relieve their families from the cycle of poverty. Considering this, do we know if the girls are receiving any sort of support from their school or from their teachers or the village? Yes, the school principal Satinder Singh, he has been very kind and two days back on Children's Day, November 14, uh, they held a small ceremony in the school to honor these girls. and they have also announced that uh, till these girls don't complete uh, class 12 their all expenses will be taken care of by the school management and next we talk about the recently concluded g20 summit in bali The G20 or the Group of 20 is an intergovernmental forum of major developed and developing economies. It is also the premier forum for international economic cooperation and represents around 85% of the global GDP, over 75% of the global trade and about 2/3 of the world's population. This year, the G20 summit took place in Bali on the 15th and 16th of November with leaders from most of the member countries participating. Prime Minister Narendra Modi also attended the summit, which is significant for India because now it's India's turn to assume the group's presidency. In fact, the Prime Minister highlighted how India is inheriting the presidency at times of extreme volatility. Bharat G20 ka jimma ऐसे समय ले रहा है जब विश्व जियोपॉलिटिकल तनावों आर्थिक मंदी खाद्यान्न और ऊर्जा की बढ़ी हुई कीमतों और महामारी के दीर्घकालीन दुष्प्रभावों से एक साथ जूझ रहा है ऐसे समय विश्व जी की तरफ 
आशा की नजर से देखता है आज मैं ये आश्वासन देना चाहता हूं कि भारत की जी ट्वेंटी अध्यक्षता इंक्लूसिव एम्बिशियस डिसिसिव और एक्शन ओरिएंटेड होगी The Indian Express's associate editor Shobhajit Roy joins us in the segment to talk about the summit and India's impact over the last two days. So, Shobhajit, can you tell us why this is an important summit for India? Yeah. So, you know, Prime Minister Modi he attended the G20 summit this week, which was the first summit after the pandemic, where there was an in-person attendance from all sides. and uh, the leaders from out of 20 countries 19 countries participated except for the russian president vladimir putin other leaders of the g20 grouping they participated in the summit in bali in indonesia now this summit is important because you know it comes in the backdrop of the russia ukraine conflict and uh, towards the end of the pandemic but the entire world is going through a sort of crisis in terms of food security energy security and fertilizer security so in that context this was an important meeting where the prime minister highlighted that you know just like after the second world war the world leaders had gathered to discuss and frame the new world order this was a similar moment in the history in the arc of history of the world that where the countries need to think of a new world order now as you know india is going to take charge of the presidency for the next uh, one year on 1st of december prime minister modi also sort of highlighted what could be the possible priorities and issues are uh, he highlighted environment to development to maintaining peace and harmony so the whole lot of issues were covered he spoke on two or three sessions on digital transformation on food and energy security and in the closing session as well of the summit so overall he tried to project india as a global player which is now going to take charge of the presidency of g20 grouping and shape the conversation in the world you know, over the next one year right So Prime Minister Modi made a very interesting remark during the summit. He said that there's a challenging global environment. Could you tell us what he meant by that? Well, he essentially meant the issues from geopolitical tensions in terms of the Russia-Ukraine war and the Chinese assertiveness and aggression in the Indo-Pacific and in the region from the food security to fertilizer security to energy security as well as the long term impact of the pandemic and all these are affecting what he framed it as our indian uh, officials and ministers have framed it as uh, the global south uh, essentially it is affecting impacting the developing world as well as the uh, less developed countries the most because the poor countries are getting impacted because of this inflation and rise in prices in right now uh, which has disrupted uh, sort of uh, supply chains and uh, made uh, financial stability risky so in that context it is prime minister made this remark about these challenging environment in the world okay 
Well, Shubhajit, regarding food and energy security, the Prime Minister also said what India is doing to address these issues. Could you talk about that? Well, he essentially outlined India's efforts, initiatives, and how it had uh, given free food grains to the poor and uh, looked after its own citizens, which is more than a billion people. That uh, he also highlighted in his in his statement. Right. So Modi and Chinese President Xi Jinping also met at a dinner during the summit. Could you explain to us why this was crucial for both countries? Well, you know, Prime Minister Modi and Chinese President Xi Jinping, they were in the same room at the same venue at the same time over two days. And at the dinner, which was hosted by the Indonesian President Joko Widodo, he went up to the Chinese president and according to officials, the foreign secretary, they exchanged pleasantries. So that's all we know. But it's important because it was the first time the two leaders were meeting in full public view since November 2019. That is in three years now, because as you know, since April, May 2020, there's been a border standoff between India and China where over 60,000 troops from each side are in a standoff situation in eastern Ladakh along the India-China line of actual control, which is the India-China border. And that has been the state of play. And as a result, although the two neighbors and the two leaders have participated in multilateral summits in virtual mode over the last couple of years, and then in this September this year, they were in Samarkand, both were in Samarkand for the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit. But uh, there has been no public sort of any interaction of the two leaders since the border standoff. In fact, there were pictures where both were standing next to each other in the group photographs in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit in Samarkand in September this year. But there were no pictures of them exchanging any words between each other. But this time one saw the two leaders talking to each other in fact those pictures went out live from the dinner venue but uh, we still don't have a readout on the substantive discussions that took place but it is an important element because the two leaders have engaged in a conversation amid the border standoff as i told you for the first time in full public view in the last three years if you remember, you know, in 2017, when the Doklam standoff was still on, at that point of time, the two leaders had a similar conversation on the sidelines of another multilateral summit. So that's how the two leaders were able to, at that point of time, break the deadlock, at least set the ball rolling. So we'll have to wait and watch on what happens in the border uh, now. If there has been any breakthrough or if the ball has been set rolling hereafter that may lead to resolution of the standoff between the two countries we'll have to watch that space and speaking about resolution india has always highlighted the need for peaceful and diplomatic resolution between russia and ukraine since the beginning of the war and this sentiment came out in the g20 communique at the end of the summit so could you talk about the kind of impact india has had on the summit and its communique yeah, as you know, at the end of the 
G20 summit in Bali, the G20 communique has now echoed Prime Minister Modi's words that he had expressed in his bilateral meeting in September this year with uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin. If you remember, on the margins of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit in Samarkand in September this year, he had told Putin that now is not the time for war. The Bali Declaration, the G20 communique, it also says that today's era must not be of war, which is sort of similar in language and formulation and tone. So the Indian side has said that it uh, took them days of negotiations between officials through ahead of the two-day summit where they got this formulation included in the joint communique, joint statement. In the Indian Foreign Secretary, he said that India had taken a constructive approach and uh, tried to build consensus because the Russians and the West were on sparring and there was a clear divide. So India sort of played a role in framing a compromise language in which it talked about the war, which has adversely impacted the global economy and said that most members strongly condemn the war in Ukraine as it has and stressed that it is causing immense human suffering and exacerbating existing fragilities in the global economy, constraining growth, increasing inflation, disrupting supply chains, heightening energy and food insecurity. So in short, it uh, highlighted all the concerns that uh, India had also raised. So in the end, the communique said that it is essential to uphold international law. Also, it talked about the UN Charter, respect and adhering to the international humanitarian law, and uh, threat of use of nuclear weapons is inadmissible. And it also talked about the fact that the peaceful resolution of conflicts is efforts to address crisis, as well as diplomacy and dialogue, are vital. And of course, it included the line, today's era must not be of war. So Indian officials sort of point out that this paragraph has been an echo of India's position since the beginning of the war. So in all, India has managed to play a key role in framing of the joint document, according to Indian Foreign Secretary. And it has taken into account this divided world, which has come together to finally come up with a consensus document. And in the end, we talk about the mass layoffs planned by Amazon. The e-commerce giant is planning to cut around 10,000 jobs. This is expected to be the largest job cut in the history of the company. This news also comes after other major tech companies like Meta, Twitter, Snap and Microsoft announced layoffs recently. So in this context, what do Amazon's layoffs signify? What kind of concerns does it raise? To answer these and more, we speak to the Indian Express's Shruti Dhapola in this segment. So Shruti, Amazon planned a mass layoff. Could you talk about that? So this is actually first reported by the New York Times that Amazon is preparing for mass layoffs. They have reportedly begun. Approximately 10,000 of Amazon's employees are expected to be impacted by this. The layoffs will likely take place in the retail division, the HR devices, which is basically a lot of Alexa and other devices as well, as well as the cloud gaming division. But again, Amazon hasn't actually confirmed any of this. We have reached out to them for a statement, but they have not yet publicly issued a statement on the state of layoffs. 
but uh, as reported these are starting to take place this week right and could you tell us the reasons behind this layoff so it's kind of interesting right you think amazon is an extremely successful company and why would there be layoffs well for one reason is that the growth that we saw during the covid period when everyone obviously had to switch online for their shopping that kind of hasn't kept pace there's also been a fall in advertising businesses as well sales of other products haven't really kept up the digital acceleration that was promised it hasn't kept up if one also looks at amazon's uh, third quarter results the net sales have only have increased but the operating income has decreased for amazon it's down to 2.5 billion dollars whereas it was 4.9 billion dollars in the same quarter last year its outlook also amazon has uh, put forth a very modest forecast of 2 to 8% growth which is not in line with what wall street expects so there is obviously and amazon's ceo andy jesse has also acknowledged that there's a lot happening at the macroeconomic level which is going to impact the company and therefore they're trying to you know balance investments and be more streamlined so that obviously necessarily means that they're going to look at cost cutting introducing efficiency which is why these layoffs are happening but shruti during the pandemic we saw more people veering towards buying stuff online that would have given them a boost right so why are sales low now so one reason of course uh, during covid amazon and most other online platforms saw a huge boost in sales because users and customers across the world really had no choice but they had to switch online everyone had to switch online in most parts of the world even in india i think all of us were buying our groceries online during lockdown and stuff so that was like a crazy growth period for these companies but that hasn't continued right uh, lockdowns have opened in most parts of the world and it hasn't really uh, kept pace and therefore sales are now also starting to get impacted it's also interesting that it's coming near black friday which is one of the biggest sales events in the us but clearly those numbers that growth that was promised hasn't continued and i think all tech companies have spoken about their talks of a recession the larger macro economic outlook being weak and that will impact them so that's why a lot of them are actually taking more prudent measures and trying to you know save costs right now right and companies like meta and twitter also taking these prudent cost cutting measures like amazon in fact amazon's layoff came after these companies also announced mass layoffs right yes meta also announced its layoffs last week on november 9th and they've laid off close to 11000 people which is around 13% of their workforce remember amazon has a much larger workforce around 1.5 million is officially the headcount and uh, twitter has of course slashed half of its workforce elon musk apparently also slashed most of uh, twitter's uh, contract workers meaning employees who weren't directly uh, part of the company but outside contract workers they were also removed like around 4400 of them and other tech companies such as snap have also reduced their output snap in fact had a which is the parent company of snapchat cut its uh, workforce by 20% so this is a step that is seems to be taken by almost all of the major tech companies and um, this is not surprising again as i mentioned it's because that acceleration that was promised hasn't really kept up meta ceo and founder mark zuckerberg also spoke about it in his uh, long post announcing their layoffs he said that he was taking responsibility he said that he thought this acceleration would continue and that's why they hired so many people but it hasn't as i also mentioned there's been a drop in uh, sales from advertising that revenue hasn't really kept pace digital sales so all of that is also impacting the tech industry and it seems to be downsizing 
Remember, tech industry is always, especially the big tech companies, they've always known for offering perks to employees, very high salaries. There's been talent wars as well. And they've tried to hire a lot of people. And now, clearly, when things aren't looking, the numbers aren't matching up, there is cost cutting happening. And Shruti, apart from these cost cutting measures, many companies like Apple are slowing down hiring. So, along with layoffs and slowed hiring, what kind of concerns are we looking at? So Apple has not announced layoffs and they've said that they'll be more measured in their hirings and they'll see where they need to hire. And this is a way of saying that we're kind of slowing down hiring. Google had in the past also announced sort of a freeze on hirings, which appears to have been lifted. But uh, Google CEO Sundar Pichai has been hosting meetings where he's talked about uh, cost-cutting measures at the company. It hasn't gone down too well with employees, according to reports. Because some employees pointed out that Google and Apple typically have huge cash reserves. So why are they cutting costs? And again, it's going back to the larger overall economic uh, picture where companies are keen on imposing cost-saving measures, on being efficient and not having wasteful expenditure as they prepare for what largely is being seen that there's a recession coming or that the US economy is already in recession. So they want to be prepared for that. You were listening to Three Things by The Indian Express. Today's show was hosted by me, Rahil Filipos, and written and produced by Utsha Sarman. It was edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. If you like the show, then do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone who you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet at us at Express Podcasts and write to us at podcasts at the rate indianexpress.com. 